glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. This morning, the book of Numbers, and I want to be a blessing to you. I am going to challenge you this morning, and uh, if you can, come back tonight. Uh, I want to be a blessing to you this morning. I'm going to preach a message entitled, Why Sit Around? Why Sit Around? And you'll see what I mean by that here in just a moment. Tonight, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a message entitled this, What to Do in a Blow-Up. What to Do in a Blow-Up. And you say, what's blowing up? I don't know. It seems like lots of things (laughs) all over. What to do in a blow-up. And uh, uh, there's a, a lesson learned. I'm going to use an illustration tonight from a fire, actually, a fire that happened in Montana uh, 73 years ago. And uh, some lessons, actually, in in how to deal with a fire that were learned in that one particular fire actually transformed the way they do fires uh, in this particular fire. And so we come back tonight and listen to that. And you say, why? Because most of all, because I'm here. No, I'm just joking. And uh, because, because the Word of God is going to be opened up and preached and preached. Um, why does the Bible say that uh, you should not forsake the assembly of yourselves together? And Why? Because, listen, we need encouragement. We need strength. We need the Word of God. Why? Because the world isn't getting any better. So much the more as you see the day approaching, right? And uh, there shouldn't be less and less church. There should be more and more of it, and I believe that. And I think of back in the days where they had revival meetings in different cities that would last weeks, weeks. I mean, weeks, every, every night there was, there was meetings. Dur- during the day there was meetings. Uh, we were just watching some things about Billy Sunday uh, just recently, and they packed a, a, an area out uh, two times a day, two times a day with uh, 16,000 people, two times a day. And I uh, said, so, well, what, what's, what happened back then? Well, the touch of God, revival was taking place. But I believe it can happen again, don't you? And uh, But it starts with God's people. Judgments must start at the house of the Lord. So Numbers chapter number 32. Did I tell you what chapter? Or did I just tell you the book? You didn't hear me? Numbers chapter number 32. Numbers chapter 32 this morning. Forgive me there. Now, I've had you standing quite a bit. I'm just going to have you remain seated while we read this morning. Uh, just, just I've had you exercise. I started with fishers of men having you exercise this morning. And, for some of you, it was fun to. It was really fun to watch you, and uh, Numbers chapter number thirty-two, and and just bear with me. I'm going to read the first nineteen verses of the chapter. This will give the context of it, and then we'll walk through Numbers chapter number thirty-two. The Bible says this: Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, and when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elaleh and Shebam and Nebo and beyond, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over in the land which the Lord hath given them? 
Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. But when they went up unto the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go in the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephthuna, the Kizanite, or Kenazite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, you are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people." And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. We're focused on verse number 5. That's my text verse this morning. Let me reread the verse, and we'll emphasize just one part. It says, And Moses said unto the children of Israel, of Gad, and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Why sit around? Why sit? That's what Moses said. Why sit around? Why sit here? Why sit here? Father in heaven, I ask that you would help me as I preach your word this morning. Uh, Though uh, the intent is to encourage people, there is also a challenge within this. And so, Lord, I pray that the challenge would be taken up this morning. Father, I'm I'm thankful for faithful people that are in Bonners Ferry Baptist Church. Some of them are not here right now. They're in another country. And so we pray for them this morning uh, as they conduct services today. And, Father, evangelistic meetings, crusade type thing. And uh, God, I pray that you would just put a touch there. I do pray again for the King family as uh, they're in the midst of the work. And Lord, uh, they have had so much going on even uh, early on in the ministry that down where they're at. And Father, I pray you give Brother Chris wisdom, his family, spiritual protection and strength as they endeavor to do uh, work for you in that place. Father, I pray uh, for those that are there, part of the Wings Bearing Precious Seed group, and, of course, those from Bonners Very Baptist Church, that, Lord, as they return back to the States, that there wouldn't be any issues, Father, that they would have safe travels, and, God, they would come back refreshed, encouraged, although, Lord, they've been doing spiritual work. So uh, they're going to need some uh, maybe rejuvenating. So, Lord, I pray for that. Father, you've given us this hour this morning. There will never be this hour again. And so, Lord, I pray that my lips would be refrained from speaking anything I shouldn't speak. Holy Spirit, guide them. Father, I ask that you would uh, help those that are listening. God, that you would help them to take in what is said and apply it to their life wherever they are at. And, uh, God, may you be glorified most of all this morning. May your son be lifted up. And if there's anybody that's here that's not saved, they trust Christ as Savior. I pray that most of all in Jesus' name. I ask these things. Amen. 
so we find here, he makes a statement. Moses makes a statement. After they're given, uh, after the children of Reuben and the children of Gad come to him and say, hey, listen, we found a spot here. And we like to settle here. We don't want to go over onto the other side. Uh, Moses says, hey, listen, your brothers are going over, but there's, remember, God told us that there was going to be problems on the other side. There was going to be, there's, they, they went in and they saw what was in the land and there was, there was fenced cities. There was well-fortified cities. Remember that, uh, what took place there when they sent the spies into the land. They saw all those things and he said, those are there. Uh, there's giants in the land. They're going to go to war, but God has promised them that land. And why are, or why are you going to let them go in and fight? And do all that, and you take your ease here. Why are you going to sit around while your brothers are in the middle of a battle? In Second Kings chapter number 7, in verse number 3, there's there some leprous men. And if you can get there, fine. If, if not, no big deal. But I'll give you the context. There was a famine in the land. Uh, there was heavy drought and heavy famine, and, and the prices uh, of things had gone up. I mean, they were selling things for ridiculous prices, and nobody could afford food. Uh, it's starting to sound like America. And uh, anyway, uh, there was four leprous men there that they were entering in at the gate. And uh, they, of course, they're unclean. They've already got a disease that may kill them. Leprosy may kill them. And they've already got problems. And they're talking to each other. And they said, why sit we here until we die? Remember how the story goes. And so they got up and uh, they, went, they went out and uh, they ended up on enemy territory, but the enemy was gone. Remember, God had sent a noise there, and the people fled. And, and so they spoiled the whole thing, and, and they, they started gathering up, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not doing good. We can't keep this for ourselves. And then they went back and told the, uh, the people about it, and they spoiled that area, and it helped them during this famine, and it boosted them into actually an economic uh, being economically robust after that takes place. But listen, uh, they thought to themselves, why are we sitting here? Why sit around? If we sit here, we're going to die. If we, go, uh, if we go out there to our enemy, we may die. So why don't we just do something at least? That's what they said in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 14. There it says, why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defensed cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us Water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. In other words, he said, they said, hey, listen, we've been doing wrong already. We can't sit here and keep doing this. We've got to do something else about it. Why sit still? I find in our modern Christianity, our American Christianity, this is not everywhere, and I'm not saying it's even in this church, but in our modern-day Christianity, there is a lethargy that's within the Christianity. Uh, people would call it the Laodicean attitude, you know, just kind of uh, not hot, not cold, just kind of in the middle of the road, just, uh, just, just kind of floating through, almost existing in their Christian life. There's a lot of religion, but there's not a lot of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a lot of people that fill seats or pews in a church, but they don't do much for God. And, uh, and hey, listen, that's not the way God designed us. In fact, when he put man in the Garden of Eden, he gave him a job. That's the first thing he did. Uh, listen, we're designed to do something. We're designed to work. Now, we can thank Adam that uh, because of the curse that we have to do it by the sweat of our brow now. But, hey, listen, our bodies were designed to work. Likewise, the church is a body, right? The church is a body, so it's designed to work. Do something for him. Why, why sit around? And uh, we want to do something, something great for God, something big for God. Now, I'm going to give you some reasons here uh, that, that I believe will be a help and encouragement, but it also will challenge you this morning on why not to just sit there and just soak up and do nothing for God. And I'm not saying anybody in here is doing that, but, hey, we can all get complacent at times. 
Do you hear me? We can all get complacent. We can all get satisfied. In fact, here's what happens. Sometimes we can be doing, but we're just satisfied in what is our normal routine of, do, routine of doing, and we never do anything more or beyond that. God is always looking for us to go beyond where we're at. Did you know that? Hey, listen, there's, there's always a place there. to It's new, new ground to conquer, right? New things to do. Uh, the theme in our church, at Old Fashioned Baptist Church this year, uh, is... is Listen, to occupy, occupy till we come. What does that mean? It doesn't mean to stand there. Occupy means to gain ground. That's, it's a military type terminology. Occupy. It means, listen, this ground over here, maybe the devil took that ground. Now it's time to take it back, right? Uh, maybe there's an area where it's new territory. Uh, the, we haven't been there before. So, hey, listen, let's take some ground. I mentioned this morning in Sunday school about our radio station. I know you guys are working on that here. That's new territory for our church. That's new territory. That's new ground. And what what are we trying to do? Just occupy. We're trying to take something that we didn't have before and expand that. Why? I don't want to sit around until Jesus comes. I don't. I don't want to sit around. I don't want to, I don't want the Lord to come back and, 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 and me to meet him face to face and give an account for my life. And, and his question to me is, why'd you sit here? Why'd you sit here? Why you been sitting around? And uh, the whole idea in this is, uh, in that verse is that the others were going to battle. They're in a warfare. They're, I mean, they're going to take up arms. Why are you going to sit while everybody else is in battle? And I, I've looked around our country and there's people, listen, all over this land, all over this land, spiritually speaking, doing battle for the Lord. There's preachers all over this country that are doing battle for the Lord. I believe that. And, and there's little congregations all over this country that are doing battle for the Lord. But can I say, uh, the people that are in the battle, they're starting to get less and less. And there's a lot more people sitting around watching them be in the battle rather than engaging in the battle with them. Hey, listen, I, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you this morning. Shall your brethren go to war and ye shall sit here? Why sit around? Why sit around? So let me give you the reasons why they were going to sit around. Let me give you the first of all that. The reason described. The reason described. Let's look back at verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. Take note of that. They had a lot of cows. Uh, they had a lot of stink is what they had. Is, you know, they had a, uh, can you imagine that? And they had a multitude of cattle. It said, When they saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. So they they traveling through. They're on their way to the promised land. Hey, let me tell you something. The promised land was a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yeah, on that other side of the, of the river, there would have been plenty of land for their cattle. I really don't believe that this was God's ideal location for the children of Reuben and the children of Gad. I don't believe that. They were supposed to go into the promised land. But they saw something. They said, hey, this land looks pretty good. It looks like a land that's built for cattle. And, hey, look, we've got cattle. So the circumstance, hey, what's right here fits our circumstance, what we've got. And so we're just going to go ahead and take that up, right? And so we see that. And then it says, verse 2, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest. And the princes of the congregation saying, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazir and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elah and Shebam and Nebo and beyond, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle and thy servants have cattle. So they reiterated their statement and said, hey, it's a place for cattle. We've got cattle. This looks like a good spot. We ought to sit down. And then verse number five, wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight. I love how people try and 
use that kind of terminology. Say, you know, now if you really like us, and if we found grace in your sight, let's just stay here. Let us go ahead and be disobedient to the Lord uh, if we found grace in your sight. Isn't that what they just said? Uh, let this land be given to unto thy servants for possession and bring us not over Jordan. So in this passage, what was going on? What was their excuse? What's the reason why they were going to sit around and not do anything for the Lord? Number one is this. Underneath that is this. It was a place of prosperity. It was a place of prosperity. They had a multitude of cattle, and they saw a place where it was good for their cattle, and they said, hey, listen, we can make some money here. Uh, we, we, we had a place where they'll multiply. Our multitude is going to be a multitude upon multitudes. This is, this is a place where we can raise our family, and, and we can do well here. Uh, we can prosper here. It's by the river Jabbok. It's, by the way, if you look in the Bible and you do a study about it and you do some uh, study about the Old Testament there and the geography and the, what takes place, it was known at that time, it was known for the biggest and fattest cattle. That was what it was known for. I don't know if there was something extra in the grass, like an extra vitamin. But listen, uh, you know, they didn't have steroids back then. But maybe there was some extra stuff that helped, helped them grow a little bit bigger and a little bit fatter and a little bit better. It was known for that. In fact, Psalm 22 and verse number 12, there it says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan. That's a statement there. He's saying, listen, there's these big cows. There's these big bulls. I mean, they're bigger than anything else. Where were they lo- uh, located? Bashan, right in this area. That's what it's talking about. These strong bulls, the, the genetics were better, the, and they could get better there. It's a place of prosperity. It also mentions in here it was the land of Gilead. You remember in the Bible where it talks about is there no balm in Gilead? Hey, it was a place known for ointments, healing ointments. And by the way, uh, they could make money off that ointment, couldn't they? They could sell that to other people. They could get it and, and, and in a sense, very real sense, manufacture that and sell that, trade that to people going through. And, hey, listen, it would be a place of prosperity. Now, if we look at the circumstances there, and just on a human perspective, when we look at those circumstances, we can say, listen, I've got this, right? I've got the cattle, and uh, I've already got them, and this is what God has given me to do. And look, here's a place that's... <clears throat> prosperous. Here's a place where it's good. Here's a place where uh, my cattle can grow and they can even get bigger and they can get better. And listen, it must be of God's will for me to go to this place because I will prosper there. Can I say, monetarily speaking, just because we have money in the bank doesn't mean we're going to prosper. We might prosper uh, with money in the bank, but our spiritual life may not prosper. I know many people, I know many, many people, I can, give, uh, I can give story after story and name if I wanted to, name after name of people I know that have picked their families up, uh, left a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church because they wanted to go down the road and they saw another place where business was better and they could grow their business, but there they didn't have a church that was a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and they picked their families up, moved to those locations and within a year or two, the whole family's blown apart. I'm talking about divorce, I'm talking about family split, hating each other. I mean, just nasty stuff because they thought it would be prosperous. Hey, they had money in the bank. Hey, they had toys. They had nice cars and all those types of things in a nice house. But listen, that's not a reason to sit around. That's not a reason to sit around just because it's prosperous. Hey, let's, let's not just take our ease at Zion, right? The place of prosperity. Not only was it a place of prosperity, but it was a place of comfortability. It was a, you say, what do you mean? The Bible says, look at here, look at here, 
verse 4, it says, Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. In other words, it's a place already conquered. See, the rest of them were going to have to go across the river, and they were going to have to conquer land. Here, they don't have to do any fighting. Here, it's, it's easy. Here, it's comfortable. Here, they don't have to get dirty. Here, they don't have to get bloody. Here, they don't have to cry and weep. Here, they don't have to have any hardships. Here, they can just settle, and it'll be okay. It's a place of comfortability. And everything that they needed for them, it was already established, you could say. Uh, they, they didn't have to go after anything. They wanted to take it. Hey, listen, it's easy now. The wilderness was behind them. The battles have been fought. They did not seem to want to take any new ground. They just wanted to settle. They just wanted to be done with it all. They just wanted to sit around. Sit around. Why sit around? Well, sounds good. It's a place of prosperity. It's a place of comfortability. Well, let's look number two this morning. I won't be long this morning. And, uh, you know, when a preacher says that, it's all, it's all variable, right, on what long is, right? Number two, uh, the reason we see described, number one, that place of prosperity, the place of comfortability. But number two, let's look at the rebuke that's delivered from Moses here. Look at verse number 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and ye shall sit here. And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over in the land which the Lord hath given them. Thus your fathers uh, did your fathers when I sent them from Candish Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go over in the land which the Lord <coughs> pardon me, had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. And uh, for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to continue on down to verse number 15, but I will walk through it here. So the rebuke that was delivered here, he gives them some reasons why they shouldn't sit around. So they had good reasons why they should, right? Or at least they thought they should. Hey, this is a place of prosperity. Hey, this is a place of comfortability. Hey, we don't have to work too hard to have this. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to get nitty gritty here. We don't have to get bloody and dirty. We don't have to weep and cry. We don't have to uh, have any more pain. That's behind us. And hey, listen, we're tired of all this. And so let's just sit and we'll be at ease right here and we'll be okay. And here's, here's what Moses tells them. He says, listen, why are you going to sit here while your brethren go to war? Here's, here's what's going to take place. He says, number one, let's give this, number one, the ramifications of the present state. What's going to take place now? Okay? He, he walks through some things. What's going to happen now? Well, what is going to happen to him? Look at verse number seven. He says, and wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, when somebody's going to go and they're going to go to this place and it's a place that's promised and they're going to occupy some ground uh, and they're going to go do battle, uh, they're going to get discouraged because they're going to be in the middle of the battle and they're going to be in the middle of the fight and it's going to be hard and it's going to be tough and it's going to be grueling and, and they're gonna be, there's going to be some obstacles they've never seen before and they're going to think back, hey, I got, a, I got brothers and sisters over on the other side and man, we're over here and we're in the battle and we're in the fight and we're in the thick of it and, and I know God promised us this land but over and over here is supposed to be a land full of milk and honey it's just flowing but right now we're in the middle of a fight and it's hard and it's tough and over there man it's easy why don't we just go over there why don't we go where they're at man do we go do we take a wrong turn here they're having it easy over there and hey look they're prospering over there and hey look it's comfortable over there and over here we're in the fight of our life 
And he says, what you're going to do is you're going to discourage them. Now, just for a moment, just I just want you to hear me out, okay? I'm going to take a, uh, a view from a pastoral-type position to try and help uh, you understand pastors just for a moment and, and their families and things like that. And uh, he's not here, so I can't get in trouble yet. And, uh, but uh, maybe when he comes back, he'll listen to it, and then I'll get in trouble. But I'll take my chances. Okay, and so here's here's what happens. Okay, a lot of times people, and I don't expect anybody to understand this necessarily unless you've been in this position. Uh, but a pastor and his family, they experience things and go through things that most people will never understand unless they've been around it and been in the middle of it. And that's by the way, that's not degrading to anybody. It just is what it is. But while you, hey, listen, while you may have a problem and you go to the pastor and, and want help and advice uh, for your problem. What you don't realize is that there's somebody else and somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. You understand me? And he can't tell you that there's somebody else and somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. He can't say anything about that. And when he gets up to preach, you say, well, man, why the the preacher's just on something this morning. He's just on something. Why is he on that thing? Because he might be trying to put out a fire somewhere or two or three or four, and you have no clue what's going on, but he does. Well, why? Because he's in a fight and he's in a battle. Uh, and, they're, and they're in the middle of it, you know, uh, constantly, all the time. Uh, what's going on down, listen, what's going on down in Mexico? We can talk about it and we say, well, they're down there and they're going out with John and Romans and, and they're doing this. And boy, it sounds like a vacation. It's not a vacation. Listen, they're in spiritual warfare right now. Did you hear what I said? They're, I mean, they're in the middle of it. You don't think the devil's fighting? Somewhere, I promise you, the devil's trying to get in there and discourage somebody and trying to uh, cause a problem somewhere or or, or, uh, cause even a health issue or whatever the case may be. He's good at doing that. Why? Because he knows when somebody's trying to do something for God, listen, that's when he needs to intervene. If you're not doing anything for God and you're just sitting around, he doesn't bother you. He doesn't. But if you'll sit around, here's what happens. If you'll sit around and you'll just take your prosperity and you'll just take your comfortability and it seems like, quote, unquote, you're being blessed, so to speak, but you're not doing much for God and there's other people in the battle, what ends up happening is they end up looking at you and saying, man, did I make a mistake? I know people who quit ministry because of that. It got real quiet in here. I'm not saying your pastor's going to do that. He's, he's not like that. I'm just saying that I know people that have. Because day in and day out, they're in the middle of the battle. They're in the thick of the battle. They're in the middle of the fight. And they're doing this and they're doing that. And they're going after it and they're praying and they're seeking God's face. And they're, they're begging God on behalf of people. And I mean, listen, they're going to war. They're in the middle of a war. And can I say the foe is a big foe, the devil. Listen, he's nobody to mess with. By yourself, he'll eat your lunch. And then eat you. Right? That's who he is. Here, the ramification is, is if you sit around and be comfortable, what it does is it discourages other people for doing something for God. So in a church setting, you know, you can have people that are serving. You can have a few people that are serving and doing all, you know, they say in, in the average church that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Now, I'm not saying that this church is average. It's probably not. I'm just saying that's, that's the typical, what they say is a statistic is 10% of, of a congregation does 90% of the work. Can I say that's a load? That's a load. And what they do is sometimes is they'll be working and working, and they'll see somebody else over here, and they're playing and playing 
and playing, and they'll say, you know what, I wish I could just have a day off. If somebody would take my place for a day, if somebody would clean the church this week instead of me, maybe I could go do something with my family. Amen? If somebody, you know, if somebody else would go out and do this, then I would have to do this every single week, and I could, you know, do something else. That's what we're talking about here. What, what ends up happening is if, if we're not careful, we can sit around and not do something for the Lord, and we think, well, I'm not, I'm not sinning against God, but what you can do if you're not careful is discourage somebody else from doing the work of God. I like churches. Uh, when I get in churches, and, you know, people are, are a little bit on the lively side. I'm not talking about uh, weird, but I'm talking about lively side. And I try and I'm trying to help my church. Uh, <clears throat> I like I, Hey, amen is good in a church. I believe that. Praise the Lord all those times. I, I like it. It's good. And uh, listen, they shout in heaven. We might as well start shouting here, amen. Just get a get a head start on the thing. Every but, but hey, listen, when a sinner comes to repentance of the Lord, all of heaven breaks out in a party. Yeah, and then but if you read something like six people got saved, you go into a, a place and you say, well, six people got saved. Cricket, cricket. Man, man, somebody should run laps around the church. Amen! Praise the Lord! Hey, listen, glory to God, they got saved. You say, well, that's a little weird. Why? Listen, they went from the depths of being the depths of hell to having a place in heaven. Listen, uh, they've changed places, positions, and that's all eternity. That's glory, isn't it? And God did it. You ought to be excited about that. But listen, when somebody doesn't get excited or they're not involved and they're going to sit there and they're going to pout through a service. You know, I'm not saying anybody's doing that here. But they sit there and they pout and they're like, I dare the preacher to bless me. I, I challenge you, make me happy. Well, probably you can't make anybody, he probably can't make that guy happy, but I promise you, that guy sitting there, that guy will, that spirit will start leaking in through. And pretty soon, more people are discouraged, and more people are discouraged, and more people are discouraged. I'm not a preacher, this message is not part of the message, but I have a message entitled this, are you a, a thermostat or a thermometer? A thermostat or a thermometer? Uh, that's what's going on in this passage. Listen, uh, what, is, what does a thermometer do? It measures the temperature, right? It measures the temperature. And wherever you put the to- uh, thermometer, it tells you what the temperature is. So uh, if we're in here, I don't know what the temperature is in here. Let's say it's like 70 degrees up on the platform when I'm preaching like this. I think it's 100. And, uh, but you go outside and you stand in the sun and you hold that out in the sun. It's going to change according to what's outside, right? A thermostat, what does it do? It regulates the temperature. It changes the temperature. Can I encourage you? Be a thermostat for Jesus. If somebody's grumpy and there's a spirit that seems like it's down or something like that, you go in and change the, change the temperature of that by being an encourager. Don't discourage somebody, right? Uh, you don't have to tell everybody about all your problems. You know what I mean? It's okay. You say, but I need to tell somebody Jesus loves you. But I just need to tell somebody. He's always listening. But be careful you're not going around trying to using your story to discourage other people. See, do you understand? Here, by them not doing and not being a part of it, not getting uh, involved, they were going to discourage. That was the present ramification of the state. They might discourage their brethren from from doing the work that God told them to do to go into that promised land and take it. Boy, I would hate to be that guy, right? 
Somebody's one. Hey, uh, you, maybe you're a parent in here or a grandparent, and maybe you're a kid. Uh, God moves on their heart and says, says, boy, I think God wants me to be on the mission field somewhere. Don't talk them out of that. Encourage them in it, right? I know people that have d- discouraged them in that. Hey, be careful of that. Be careful of that. By the way, if you're a friend of one of those people, don't say, well, uh, I may never see you again. And, you know, what happens if you die over there? Hey, listen, if they die in the will of God, praise the Lord. Hey, they, they live for Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Bible, right? Amen. So, in this rebuke that's delivered, number one is the ramification of the present state. Discouragement, discouragement. Let me give you one more illustration about that. Uh, you remember the prophet Elijah? That guy's an interesting guy, isn't he? I mean, he did some crazy stuff, didn't he? And... Man, he what a preacher, right? And God anointed him in a very special way. I mean, things that he was God allowed him to do. I mean, what a what an amazing man, right? I wish I wish sometimes I could pray and call fire down from heaven. Now it wouldn't probably be to sacrifice uh, to land on the sacrifice of an altar, but uh, but I wish I could call fire down from heaven every once in a while. Maybe towards maybe over the top of the White House or something. No, I'm just joking. And uh, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> certain governor's house. No, um, anyway. But do you know what I'm saying? This guy, I mean, this guy was used of God. And we know the story when he goes up to, to Mount Carmel there and, and uh, he has that battle with all those false prophets, right? And he calls fire down from heaven and it consumes the, the sacrifice that's got all kinds of water all over it and licks up the water that's in the trench and burns it. I mean, I mean, what an amazing thing. Then he slays all these prophets, right? What happens right after that? He's discouraged, isn't he? Now, in that discouragement, he goes up into the mountain. He's all by himself. By the way, if you're discouraged, the last thing you need to do is get all by yourself. That's why the assembly is so important. Okay? That's not the time to distance yourself from people that love you and know God. Okay? That was free. That's not part of the sermon. Uh, but he goes and he gets alone there, and God reminds him that there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, Right? But hold on. I want you to think about this. If you look in that story and you read everything all in its context, before and after, remember uh, there was people trying to hide prophets, right, from Ahab and Jezebel. They were hiding in caves and things like that, right? Hold on. You don't think those prophets heard about what Elijah was about to go do up in Mount Carmel? You don't think somebody went by there and said, hey, Elijah's going out to Mount Carmel today and he's going to do battle. Where were they? Where were they? Why didn't they come out and say, hey, listen, my man Elijah's out there. I'm going to go out there. I mean, I can't do what Elijah does, but I'm going to at least get back. I'm going to get behind him because, man, that guy's got the touch of God on him. Where were they? Nowhere. And he got to the place where he was looking around. It wasn't true, but he started looking around and he said, look, nobody's, nobody's out there doing what I'm doing. I'm the only one left. And, Lord, I'm just tired and I'm weak and I'm weary. Why don't you just kill me? Right? You know what he needed? He needed an encourager. You say, well, I'm just, you know, if I don't do anything, it's not that big of a deal. It might be. It might be the difference between keeping somebody in ministry or keeping somebody out of it. So discouragement. So that's the first part. The second part is this. He then reminds them of past failures, 
of past failures. So he says, listen, you'll discourage them. Not only will you discourage them, but then uh, let's talk about the past. What happened back when, when the same similar situation would, would come up? So let's look here at verse number 8. It says, thus did your father. So he's making reference. When I see them, uh, sent them from Canaan Barnea to see for the land. For when they went up under the valley of Eschol and they saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came out of Egypt from 20 years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob because they have not wholly followed me, save Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and the Kenazite, uh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them, listen to this, and we know, we know what it says, he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Wander. They were disillusioned. So not only were they dis, there's discouragement, but they were disillusioned. They wandered. You know, I found it's it's amazing to me how many Christians I know that wa- just wander through the Christian life. They're saved. They're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, they have a testimony, a clear testimony of salvation. But they're not doing anything for Jesus, and they're not. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just kind of existing. Listen, God didn't put you on on this planet to exist. He put you on this planet to do something for Him. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room has something they can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody. I believe that, and if I didn't, I just stopped preaching. Everybody, uh, you have you have things that you can do that somebody else can't. Amen. Uh, you have abilities, and you have you have influences upon others that somebody else doesn't. I tell people at our church, especially young people uh, that are part of the public school system, I say, look, I can't go talk to your friends, but you can. You can. Listen, I'm just some old guy that can't play any basketball anymore. I used to be able to, I'd go on a basketball court and I'd challenge them. And I'd play basketball, then I'd whoop up on them and I'd make them a deal with them that if I beat them, then they'd have to come to church with me or li- at least listen to me. Uh, uh, give them the gospel. And I used to, when I was younger, I used to take on two or three guys and I would win. Now, I just look at them and I say, if I play one of the little kids about about Silas's size, I might be able to take them. <laughs> and that's about as far as I could go now. But hey, listen, listen. Here, they wandered in the wilderness. They had no purpose. They just Going around and around and around and around and around until one day they're gone. They're disillusioned. I tell our church, this is a phrase I use, and you can take it for what it's worth, but I say this, I say live with purpose on purpose. Live with purpose on purpose. I get up every day knowing what my purpose of life is, and I'm going to live that day with that purpose in mind. I'm going to drive towards it. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, he was uh, getting up in years. But you know what he did? He said, I've got a purpose. I've got a purpose. I know what my purpose is. I haven't apprehended that purpose. I'm going to forget those things which are behind. I'm going to reach forth to those things which are before. I've got my purpose, and I'm going to live every day with that purpose in mind. And I'm going to do my best to accomplish that purpose. I'm going to live with purpose on purpose. 
And so he says, hey, listen, they were disillusioned. If you're not careful, what ends up happening in a church over time, if, if people begin to get discouraged, and then what ends up happening is the church begins to just kind of wander. It just exists, so to speak. They just kind of keep spinning in circles, and they just keep doing this and this and this, but they don't make it into the promised land and conquer any ground. They just kind of keep going and staying kind of like this. We don't want that, do we? Hey, why sit around? Why sit around? We shouldn't sit around, right? We shouldn't sit around. We don't want to discourage somebody, and surely we don't want to wander aimlessly through our life. Number three underneath that is this. Realize what the future problem may be then. So he deals with their present ramification, right, their present state. They could discourage somebody. And then their past, say, listen, learn from the past. Remember what happened. They wandered. They didn't do anything. And then number three, realize the future, what it's going to be, and that's this destruction. So we stopped here in verse number 13. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In verse number 14, it says, And behold, you are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment, to augment, he's going to attach. Listen, you're just going to be an attachment. Augment the fierce anger of the Lord towards Israel. For if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness and ye shall destroy all this people. Just recently I read, and it was sad to me to read this, but the chapel down in Tennessee of the Great Highland Park Baptist Church or what used to be the Great Highland Park Baptist Church is burnt to the ground. How many of you even know what I'm talking about, the Highland Park Baptist Church? A few of you. Okay, some of you don't. Highland Park Baptist Church, and they had a university called Tennessee Temple University, pastored by Dr. Lee Robertson. And through that ministry over the years, literally thousands upon thousands, if not tens of thousands of people uh, trusted Christ as Savior. But more than that, there was thousands upon thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people that went into full-time ministry work all over the world. At one point in time, it was one of the largest, not the largest, but one of the, the largest churches in the United States. Their Sunday school ministry was just tremendously large. Now, large doesn't mean everything, but I just want you to understand, it was a going place. I mean, they were conquering new ground all the time, and it wasn't like they had it easy. Uh, in fact, Dr. Lee Robertson uh, he had his daughter died. Her name was Joy. And he developed a ministry called Camp Joy because of that. And from Camp Joy, literally thousands upon thousands of boys and girls came into that camp and trusted Christ as Savior because instead of letting his hurt dominate him, he turned his hurt into something useful for the glory of God and expanded that thing and did something great for God and people were saved. What an amazing thing. But listen, the Highland Park Baptist Church doesn't even exist anymore. It's changed names, leadership. It's Tennessee Temple, it's gone. All of it. Here's what happened. I'm going to tell you what happened. At some point in time, some people said, I don't want to be in the battle. I'm comfortable where I'm at. This is a place of prosperity and comfortability. And they wouldn't listen to a Dr. Lee Robertson anymore. They didn't want it. They didn't want that 
leadership anymore. And they said, hey, listen, we don't want that. We want to do our own thing. And so when he retired from the pastorate, they got something different. He warned them, but they wouldn't listen. And here's what happened. Because they got comfortable, they discouraged other people. And those people didn't go into ministry like they should have, and they didn't have a fire and a zeal like they should have. Then they started as a church. They just started wandering, and they just started. They just kind of maintained. Nothing was going. It's just kind of just, just floating. And now, it's destroyed. That's the way of all ministry. If we follow this pattern, are you hearing me? That's the way of every Christian life. If we follow that pattern, destruction, destruction. I'm not going to read it for sake of time because we need to be done this morning. But go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and see what happens in that chapter. Destruction. So, we come to the very end of the sermon, which Charles Haddon Spurgeon said the invitation is the beginning of the sermon, really. That's where the sermon begins. I'm going to give you the last thing, and it's really the conclusion and invitation all wrapped in point one. I'm going to tell you about the reaction that was delivered. Look at verse number 16. So after Moses warns them, tells them what's going on, verse number 16 says, And they came near unto him and said, We'll build our sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side of Jordan or forward because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. And Moses said to them, if you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies. And the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So here's what he says. He gives them the warning, and here's their reaction. They say, We'll go in and fight. We'll get in the battle. You know, we don't, we don't want this to happen. We don't want them to be discouraged because of us. We don't want them to wander around and just do nothing because of us. We don't want to see the end, their end to be destroyed. We don't want it to stop. We want them to conquer for God, and so we're going to get in the middle of the battle with them. They made a decision. Now, they didn't have to, but they made that decision. They said, we'll go ahead. We're not going to sit here anymore. We're not going to sit around anymore. We're going to get involved. We're going to be a part of it. And we're going to make sure they conquer that land for the glory of God. Now, this morning, you have a decision with the sermon I just gave. The question was right at the beginning is, why sit around? Why sit around? So I'm too old. Why sit around? I'm too young. Why sit around? Well, I got this nice job. Why sit around? Well, you don't understand my my situation. Why sit around? You have a choice this morning. What is your reaction going to be? There's people in this church that are in the battle. They're in the middle of the fight. Some of the fight they're in, you have no clue about. You don't understand even the intensity of it. And that's okay. But at least get in the battle with them. 
Walk arm in arm with them and say, hey, listen, I'm with you. I know it's hard, but I'm going to get behind you. That means if you can do something, whatever that may be, you know, when your pastor gets back, why don't you go up to him and say, hey, preacher, what can I do to be a blessing to this church? If it means you scrub a toilet, don't get offended at that. You're in the battle. Are you listening to me? I'm serious. You're in the battle, too. Hey, a toilet needs clean in here, you know. If it means vacuuming, set a vacuum, then vacuum it. If it means, hey, listen, why don't you come with me and go door knocking with me? Go out and go door knocking. You say, well, I just don't know what to say. That's all right. Just let him talk. But sit there in prayer with him. Get in the battle. It's too far. It's too long. It's too... Why sit you here? While your brethren go to war. Mm-hmm.